Amen. As I said, we talked a bit about salvation during the week, and I'm all jacked up on theology at the moment, so I thought, you know, it would be a fun way to start today. We're going to start by talking about some theology. All right, so I did a whole degree in this, and I thought I might as well use it at some point. So we're going to start by talking about theology. Theology is essentially the study of God, of faith, of religion. And there's something that really important, a question that we have to answer as we start today's discussion, and that is, how is it that we can actually know God? You see, we, we have this problem when it comes to knowing God, because we are, as human beings, we're actually, we're sinful people. We, we talked about this thing called total depravity during the week. That's a bit of a big, scary word, but the concept is that because of our sinfulness and our brokenness, we actually cannot do anything by our own strength of our own efforts to save ourselves. And in a similar way, we can't like just ascend to God's level with all of our efforts so that we can know Him really well. We're, we're kind of depraved. We have this lacking built into us um, ever since sin entered into the world. But God in His grace does something really cool and He steps into our existence. He speaks to us and He acts and He comes to us and He starts to reveal to us who He is and He shows us who He is and He does that through His Word and through His actions. And so we're going to open His Word, the Bible, right now. We're going to turn to the book of 1 John. So if you have a Bible on you, please open up to 1 John. If you have a phone and have the Bible app on there, do that. If not, it's all good. We've got the Bible on the screen behind me here. But we're going to be reading from 1 John chapter 4. If you're a bit unfamiliar with the Bible, 1 John is right towards the end of the book. 1 John chapter 4. And we're going to read a really powerful verse that actually tells us about God. God tells us about who He is. And it's 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. It says this, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from, for love comes from, from God, right? Love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and, and what? And knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is, God is love. In this verse we see the clearest definition of who God is in the Bible, that God is love. And if you're hearing that for the first time today, then I hope it's, it's freeing for you, I hope it's exciting for you, because for some people, the, the understanding of God that they have is that He's kind of like a, a heavenly Father looking down and just looking out for people to punish. But this verse actually says that God is love. And this is a really important thing for us to remember uh, as we start this discussion that God is love, because when we look at things like the Ten Commandments, and we look at the instructions that God gives us in His Word, it's really easy to forget this and think, well, these are just things that He's told us to do because He wants to restrict us in life. He wants to stop us from experiencing all that life as He saw. But when we remember this perspective and when we use what I call the lens of love to look at the Bible and look at the instructions God has given us, then we get a completely different perspective. And so as we enter into today's discussion, what I want us to do is I want us to grab our imaginary glasses. So grab your imaginary glasses with me. These are going to be the lenses of love and we're going to put them on. Let's put on the lenses of love. Thanks to the three people who did that for me. That was great. God is love. You know, it's not every sermon that we get to go through the whole Bible in, in, in one sermon, and we're going to try to do that today. So what I want you to do is grab your Bibles now and flip all the way back to the book of Genesis. We're going to be reading from Genesis 2 next. See, that was a bit of a joke. It's okay to laugh in church. Kind of just went through the whole Bible there. That's all good. Genesis chapter 2 is where we're turning now. And we're going to look at one of the greatest gifts that God has given to humanity. You see, at the start of Genesis 2, we have just come to the end of what is called the creation narrative. Right? We've come to the, the end, and there's a kind of a, another recollection of it in the second chapter of Genesis. But in Genesis 1, we have the creation narrative, and then at the very start of Genesis 2, we read this. Genesis 2, verses 1 to 3. Again, it's on the screen behind me. 
But if you have a pen or somewhere to take notes, I'd love for you to grab that out now as well. Let's read. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. Say completed. Say completed. Thank you. Thank you. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested. Say rested. From all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was a day when he rested from all his work of creation. A Seventh-day Adventist, part of our, our name, the very first part, is Seventh-day. Right? The, the Sabbath, this concept of, of rest on a Seventh-day, is a pretty big deal to us. And this is where it actually starts. Um, we, we see the creation narrative has come to an end, and we see that word completed there, saying that creation was completed, everything was done. This word completed in the ancient Hebrew has, has implications of, like, of, of fullness, of wholeness, completion. Creation was completed. God saw creation. He's like, you know what? There's nothing else I can add to this. This is pretty good. And so then it says he, he rested. That word rested is Shabbat, which is where we get the word Sabbath. It's the word Shabbat. And it literally means, literally means that God sat down and he rested. That's what it means. But then we have to ask the question, well, why did God sit down and rest? Was he tired? Like, was, was, he, was he tired from all the work that he'd done over those last six days? I mean, I, I work... I try to work five days a week, thank goodness for the, for the Thursdays I take off, because sometimes I end up working a little bit more than that, and I get pretty tired by the end of the week. And so is God tired after he's just worked for the last six days? Well, the, question, the answer to that is no, because in Isaiah 4, 28, no, Isaiah 28 verse 40, I believe it is, might be 40 verse 28, it's getting muddled up in my head. It says, God never grows weak or weary. So it's not because of tiredness or weakness that God is resting. So why is it that he's resting? This is where we need to put on those lenses of love again. Because as we look at this verse, what we see is that out of completion, out of satisfaction, out of joy in His creation, and humanity are a part of that, God stops. He stops and enjoys His creation with His people. And He invites humanity to take part in that with Him. That's where the Sabbath comes from. How awesome is that? God wants to be with His people, and so He sets aside a time. You know, in the, in, the, in the Hebrew thought, which was the, the people that constructed this book, the day started uh, at sunset, the day before it ended at sunset that day. So in this case, like, what it, what it meant for them was that the, the Sabbath or this day of rest was from Friday night to Saturday night. And that's where this concept um, of seventh-day Sabbath kind of, kind of comes from. Now, unfortunately, this, this creation and its completeness and wholeness didn't continue in that way. And, and, uh, and unfortunately, the, the result of humanity's sin was that they kept walking away from God. And God did his best to be faithful to them. He made covenant promises to them. He, he tried to set up a framework for them to live their life by. And unfortunately, the people of Israel, who were the nation that God chose to be his representatives to the world around, they ended up in slavery because they'd wandered so far from God and tried to take things into their own hands so much that they ended up in slavery. And they were enslaved in the nation of Egypt for 420 years. And what you have to know about being a slave, not that I have any experience, but, but when you're a slave... Your value is very much assigned to your productivity. Like, like, like your, your slave master is going to value you more if you can do more for them. Like you're still a slave, but, but, but your, your value is very much tied up in what you do. And, and I have no doubt that for the people of Israel, that what would have happened uh, to them in this time was that their identity would have become very much secured in their productivity, in what they could do, in what they could contribute. You know, you, you spent 420 years doing something, 
And I have no doubt that the, that the way you do it and the implications for it is going to impact a bit on how you see yourself. And I have no doubt that, that at least in your identity kind of surrounds that. You know, I'm, I'm someone that gets good grades. But I want to suggest to you today that whenever we do that, we actually become slaves to the very thing that we're trying to achieve. And I'll give you an example of this. This is a picture of me in year 12. And you can see I'm holding a pretty big clock next to me. Um, when I was in year 12, I was elected to be um, the instrumental captain at my school. Now, instrumental isn't in the sense of like I was really important for the school. I wasn't instrumental, I was, it was musical, right? So I was the, the music captain at school. And every year, my school would compete in a, in a festival called the Catholic Performing Arts Festival. We just called it CPAF for short because it was a lot easier to say. But the Catholic Performing Arts Festival uh, was, was run every year and they have thousands of students from across Western Australia compete and they have a whole bunch of different categories. So they have like your, your choir section, your, your jazz band section, your, your, your quartets, your, your solos, and have all these different sections across all the instruments. And up to the point when I had been um, elected as, as music captain, my school had won this festival for 11 years in a row. And we had a culture of winning. We had a culture of working hard and getting the win. That was the culture of our school, right? And so I was elected as the, the, the instrumental captain and all of a sudden I was placed in this, this space where all of a sudden I felt it all come onto me that not only did I have to work hard to win, but like it was in our culture, it was who I was to be a winner. See, I've been at this school for five years already, so I had that culture become a part of who I was. And if I'm being honest, my identity was very much tied into that idea of having success. And so I'd be a hard worker, I would, I would put in the hours, I would go down to school often at about 6.30, 7 o'clock each morning, practice for an hour, take up my lunch times practicing. I would often rehearse for a few hours after school with different bands and stuff as well. And my identity became very much tied up in what I was doing. And this picture actually shows us when we won it in the 12th, for the 12th year in a row. And it's a, this picture signifies something really important for me because while I'm smiling in here, it started a thought process in my head where I realized that securing my identity and my success wasn't a safe place to secure that. Because I, I achieved the success, but then it wasn't really satisfying. It wasn't really something that I felt like I could secure my identity in. And it's into this space that God actually speaks to Israel once again. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Because in Deuteronomy chapter 5, the people of Israel are given for the second time the set of Ten Commandments. So the book of Deuteronomy is four books over from where we just were in Genesis. And in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 2 and 3, I believe, it says this. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Mount Sinai. The Lord did not make this covenant with our ancestors, but with all of us who are alive today. Now this word covenant is essentially, what it, what it means is it's a mutual agreement of, of mutual responsibility for mutual benefit. So it's where two people or two groups or two parties, whatever you want to call them, they come together and say, hey, we can actually work together um, and we can both benefit from this. And this covenant, if you look back to Genesis chapter 15, God goes to a man named Abram and he says, hey, I want to be your God and I want you to be my people. I want your descendants to be my people. And, and, and what's really interesting is that the author of Deuteronomy is saying that, hey, this covenant wasn't just made with your descendant ages ago. This covenant's made with you. But like God actually wants to be your people and he wants you to make him your God. And the natural question that comes is, well, what does that mean? What does that look like for us to be God's people? 
entering the Ten Commandments. See, we often look at the Ten Commandments today as something that might be a little bit legalistic or a little bit rules-based. But the truth is that for the people of Israel, who had been slaves for 420 years, when God freed them from slavery, they would have had no idea how to function in the world around them. And with those lenses of love put on, we look at the Ten Commandments as God's answer to that, to say, hey, this is how I want my people to function in the world. This is how I want my people to function in the world. And so as we jump down to Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 12 to 15, we read about the Sabbath. And as we're reading this, I want you to think to that language that we heard before about like wholeness and created and rest and those kind of concepts and see how it's just absolutely flooded into this passage. And what's interesting is that this commandment here is the, is the one that's different from when they're giving them earlier in Exodus 20. So if you look at Exodus 20, there'll be um, another list of the commandments here. And this is the only commandment that's different, the one about the Sabbath. So let's read. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons, your daughters, your male and female servants, your oxen and donkeys, and other livestock, and any foreigners living among you. All your male and female servants must rest as you do. This is where it changes here. Remember, you were once slaves in Egypt, but the Lord your God brought you out of this strong hand and powerful arm, and that is why the Lord your God has commanded you to rest on the Sabbath day. So here we get the reason why we're asked to keep the Sabbath. The reason why the people of Israel are asked to keep the Sabbath. Remember, you were once slaves in Egypt, but the Lord God brought you out of that. What I think God is saying here, and this is the longest commandment in the list, and I think often God speaks most into the space where we need to hear it the most, even if we don't feel it or believe it. But, but God says, hey, you were once slaves in Egypt. Remember that place where your identity was completely tied up in how productive you could be, in what you could do? You were once slaves in Egypt, but I brought you out of that. You're no longer slaves. You're no longer in that place of slavery. Your identity is no longer locked up in your productivity. And I want everyone to stop. That's crazy. For these people whose identity is tied up in their productivity, for these people who assign their value according to what they can do, it must have been confusing for them as to why their God would want them to stop. The impression I get here is that God is saying to his people, you are more than what you do. But like, to me, I assign value to you not because of what you do, not because of what you can do for me, but, but I assign value to you purely because of who you are and who I've created you to be. And he says the same thing to each and every one of us today. And so what does Jesus say about the Sabbath? He says a few things, but we're going to turn to the book of Mark. So that Mark is, is a gospel, and that means that it's good news. That's what the word gospel means. And the book of Mark is the second book of the New Testament. It's the story of the life and ministry of Jesus. And in Mark chapter 2, we read Jesus having an interesting discussion with some religious leaders about the Sabbath. You see, unfortunately, by this point in history, God's people who are now known as the Jews, they... They've created Sabbath into this something which was kind of a, how should I say this? It was a sign that you were a really good Christian, or a really good Jew, sorry. If you followed the Sabbath, it meant, and you did it really well, it meant that you were like really, really good at your faith, like you did it well. And it, it kind of became a bit of a, a thing where like, if you didn't keep the Sabbath well, then it was kind of like, oh, I don't know if you can really be considered a part of that community. And I don't know if that sounds familiar at all, but this is the context into which Jesus is speaking. 
and they share a discussion about the Sabbath and, and what it's all about. And in Mark chapter 2, verses 27 and 28, it says this, Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people, not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath, for the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Remember that idea of completeness from way back in Genesis? God didn't look at creation and, and have the Sabbath as a part of that and say, you know what, the Sabbath needs something. I'm going to put humans in there to fill that need. No, because remember God said that it was out of completeness that he rested. Like the creation lacked nothing and so he rested, he stopped and he wanted to be with his people. This verse suggests to us that God has given his people the commandment of Sabbath because there was a need within them that the Sabbath could help to meet. Like the Sabbath is actually a gift to us, to help us. It's a gift to help us. Now I've been talking a lot about what it means for us to be, to be, to remember who we are in Christ and to, to have this safe place to secure our identity. And if you're wondering what that looks like, then I've got a few things on the screen behind me about what it means for us to, to secure our identity if God calls us. You see, in Isaiah it says that we are healed and whole. You might not feel healed and whole, you might feel broken and incomplete. But God actually says to you, you're healed and whole. You're actually saved as well. If you believe in Jesus and you choose to follow him, you're actually saved. That, that's who you are. That's, God, that's how God sees you. He sees you as his child. He loves you unconditionally. Romans 5 eight says that Christ demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, before we actually decided to follow him, Christ loved us. That the love that God has for you is independent of what you do for him. The love of God comes first and then our response to that comes after. The Bible actually says that we're free from sin and death because of what Jesus has done. If we claim him as our saviour, that's who we are. We're free from sin and death and we, we can live like that. We can claim that over our lives. also says we're a child of God. Many of us in, in, in this building today or joining us online might have, might have come from a broken family. And unfortunately, it might have been through an experience where we feel like, well, I don't feel like being a child of someone is something that I really want to do. But God is a great Heavenly Father and as a Heavenly Father that loves us unconditionally, shows us what it means to be His child. And God calls you a child of God. And finally, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that we can have right standing with God. That verse says that he who knew no sin, talking about Jesus, became sin for us. So he took our sins and our, our, our mistakes upon himself. And, in, and, in, and in, in exchange for that, he gave us his perfect example. And so it says that he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And righteousness means right standing. And that means that if you take Jesus as your own personal saviour, that you can have right standing with God. That he looks at you and instead of seeing your mistakes... And your worthiness to be punished, he actually sees the obedience of Jesus instead. And that's good news, people. Because I don't know about you, but I know for me, like I'm a very imperfect person. Uh, I'm someone that makes mistakes constantly. But these are the things that God calls us. And there are plenty more verses we could look at. I encourage you to, to look at, at who God calls and the identity you can have in him. See, I think the need that God saw in his people, and it's a need that we still have today, is to remember who we are. Christ. And the Sabbath is one of the greatest gifts because it's a rhythm for us to remember who we are in Christ. Like that, that's what the Sabbath is. 
And the Sabbath is way more than that as well. You know, I, we could do a whole series on the Sabbath itself because it's incredible the way that, that the, 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 the pattern of seven and, and those kind of rhythms are built into the story of, of God's people. I actually just listened to a podcast series, which is about nine podcasts long. Each of them are about an hour and a half. And it's just about the Sabbath. If you want to check it out, it's on the Bible Projects podcast. You can have a listen to that. It's amazing. But the takeaway that I want each of us to pull from today is that the Sabbath is a rhythm to remember who we are in Christ. That you are more than what you do. God doesn't look at at your obedience or, or he doesn't look at all the great things you do and be like, okay, you're worthy to be called my child. No, no, God loves you. He believes in you. He calls you his child. And then he invites us to spend time with him and to remember that on a weekly basis. For me, like, when I was growing up, I kind of kept the Sabbath because I was a Seventh-day Adventist Christian growing up. And if I'm being honest, I kind of just did it because my parents kind of told me to do it and um, kept it in a way that was a very traditional Adventist way to do it. We didn't buy stuff. We didn't, um, we didn't work. We didn't really watch TV or anything like that. We, we tried to make our focus about being with God. But then when I got older and I started to have a bit more freedom, if I'm being honest, the Sabbath kind of became something I didn't really understand because I was like, well, what's the point in, in this? I want to make every single day a day where like, I try and honor God. And so the Sabbath, you know, I'd go out, I'd buy stuff. I would, I'd watch TV, I'd watch sports and stuff. And it wasn't really something that I, I valued for what it was worth. And so over, over the period of time when I was studying at college, what, what happened was that I started to realize that the Sabbath wasn't like a, a sign of like, um, you know, this is how good an Adventist you can be is if you keep the Sabbath really well. The Sabbath was actually a gift from God who was a God of love. And it was an invitation for us to pause and to say, no, I'm not going to do anything today because I just want to have a break. God has given me this opportunity to stop, to spend time with Him, to spend time with my family and to remember who I am in Him. And so I don't know what the things are in your life that you might feel like you're a little bit of a slave to at the moment, whether it, it might be something like success, it might be something like um, your social status. It might be, it might be, you know, the, the car you drive, and you kind of secure your identity in that, and so you, you might do some unchristian things to make sure your car stays like that. For me, at the moment, where I'm currently at, a big thing that I'm a bit of a slave to is, um, is like being viewed as someone that kind of has it all together, and so like social media is a bit of a challenge for me sometimes because. You look at the highlights of everyone's lives on social media, like Facebook, Instagram, whatever it is. One of my friends called it show and tell for adults because you kind of just put the good parts of your life on there and you hide the rest of it. But I find that like when I, whenever I go on social media, I kind of like compare myself to other people. I don't know if this is speaking to anyone today, but, but I definitely get caught up in the trap of kind of securing my identity a bit in the way that people perceive me. And social media is kind of a big part of that. And so what I'm going to do over the next four weeks, and I'm going to invite each and every one of us to try and do this, is I'm going to pick an area of my life that I feel like I'm a bit of a slave to. And I'm going to stop myself from doing that on the Sabbath and make more of an effort to remember who I am in Christ. And so what that's going to look like for me is I'm going to stay off social media on Sabbath for the next four weeks. And now I want to invite you to consider what is one thing that you might feel like is kind of feeding into your identity a little bit and kind of contributing to your sense of value that isn't what God calls us. What is something in that space that you can give to God and say, all right, God, for one day of the week, I'm going to try and give that up and I'm going to commit my, my time 
to, to knowing you, to being with your people, and to try and secure my identity in who you say I am. What is that for you? Because I invite the band back up. We're going to sing another song, I believe. Is that right? Yeah, sorry, I was right. Good. I didn't look at the program. But as they come up, I want you to think about that. Think about something that maybe you're securing your identity in a little bit and what you can perhaps do on a Sabbath over the next four weeks to try and uh, help yourself to know God more. Because that's ultimately why we're doing this. We want to know God more. And to know God, we have to know who He calls us. Right? And so I want you to think about something that you can maybe give up or maybe start doing. It might not be giving up anything. It might just be, all right, I want to, you know, instead of having my pri- my, pr- my precious Sabbath afternoon nap for seven hours, I'm going to cut it down to four hours and I'm going to spend a little bit more time with my kids. It might be, it might be like me, you want to start social media. It might be, hey, I'm, I'm not going to worry about um, who, I, who I speak with on a Saturday. I'm not going to avoid certain people or deliberately try and speak to others. I'm just going to ask God to send the people to me that he needs me to bless and try and bless them on, on the Saturday I pray that for each and every one of us, the Sabbath will become a day that we, that we hold to and cherish. It's a weekly reminder of who God's created us to be and who we are. And so what I'm going to ask us to do now is I'm going to ask everyone just to close your eyes and bow your heads. And if you want to make a commitment along with me over the next four weeks to, to keep the Sabbath in a new way, then I want to invite you to raise your hand with me as I pray. And this isn't a commitment that you're obliged to take. There's no pressure at all whatsoever. Just remember that God loves you and He wants to give you this rhythm as something that is a weekly reminder of who you are in Him. So if you want to join me in, uh, in, in, in making a commitment to not live in the, the things that you're enslaved to or that you're defining yourself by, remember instead who you are in Christ, then I invite you to raise your hand with me now as I pray. Raise your hand and just say, right, God, yeah, I'm just going to give it to you the next four weeks and see how it goes. It doesn't mean you know exactly what it's going to look like right now, but you just want to say, right, God, I'm just... Yeah, if it's in your hands, leaving it with you. The reason I'm asking you to raise your hand is because I believe that when we make a commitment on the outside, it does something to us on the inside that makes it all the more real. This is just the last opportunity. If you want to raise your hand now and just say, yep, I want to try this for the next four weeks, but I'm going to give this over to you and leave it in your hands. Just raise your hand with me now as I pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you're a God of love and a God that extends us the opportunity to respond to you, so that we can know you and that we can respond by keeping the Sabbath as a day where we can remember who you created us to be and who we are in Christ. Lord, I just pray that every commitment that's been raised today, whether it be through the raising of hands or just in the hearts of those that are here and joining us online, God, you see those commitments, you want to take those commitments and, and reveal to them a new aspect of who you are. And so I pray for the next four weeks that as we keep the Sabbath in a special way, that what you will do is you will reveal to us more who we are in you and that the result will be us drawing closer to you know you more, Lord. I thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. Well, I look forward to all you do in this space, in this church. We just pray a blessing over everyone here in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.